I mean, we were we were facing you know uh, food shortages before long before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. But Russia and Ukraine combined are uh, produce I think like at something like thirty or forty percent of the world's grain. It's a ridiculous yeah. amount. They're the top two grain producers in the world, followed by like Canada, the U.S., and I believe Brazil. Um, but uh, you know. They're, they produce tons of it. And, you know, Ukraine's farm fields are, I mean, as far as you can tell from, like, the news, they're probably pretty much worthless, like, just on fire. Yep. Um, you know, the Russians are basically, like, you know, salting the earth uh, as they go through it. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. We are here, as usual, today to discuss the market's hottest stock stories and investment opportunities. We've got Jason Williams on the show today. Jason is an ex-Wall Street guy who has reformed his way into the newsletter space and he now spends his days keeping Main Street investors informed about what's going on in the market. Uh, Jason does this through a couple of investment advisory services, including the Wealth Advisory, Main Street Ventures, and more recently launched uh, Future Giants. And today, Jason's going to talk to us about a couple of his favorite stock picks, specifically surrounding a couple of key uh, global shortages that we're going to get into in a minute. Per our usual disclaimer, nothing that we say here today is uh, personal financial advice. We can give you tools and insights to make good trading decisions, but we cannot make those decisions for you. Also, please like, comment, and subscribe. The engagement really helps us out. Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back on. The last time that you were on here, we kind of talked a little bit about a couple of macro issues. Uh, I had you I had you make some predictions about a pretending, uh, I guess, pending recession and uh-huh. uh, inflation. And you told us at the time that we were not finished with inflation yet. I did. That inflation is not going away, and giving this week's uh, CPI read, it seems that you were kind of on to something here. So before we get into the shortages, I just wanted to see if you had any kind of updated thoughts on on that CPI read. Uh, do you think we're out of the woods yet? Uh, do you think that maybe a, a peak is coming sooner, or are you still kind of equally pessimistic as you were last time? Um, well, I'm still. I mean, I'm still sort of pessimistic, and I'll tell you, you know. I don't, I don't like to talk of a peak because, yeah, we may have already been past the peak. You know, we may have seen peak inflation at like whatever, 8.7, 9.1%, you know, but that doesn't mean that it's going to just come sure, right so back down. Maybe more of a plateau. Yeah, and that's sort of more what I see. Um, you know, we saw inflation coming down, uh, you know, slightly um, in uh, what, July and August. But it was really it was uh, it was energy prices, you know, and energy prices are volatile. They're always volatile. Um, but we haven't really seen, and I feel like I said this last time, we haven't really seen um, the sticky inflation uh, hit there, and that's wage growth uh, and uh, the cost of housing. You know, um, sure. we're already seeing like mortgages are more expensive because of uh, higher interest rates. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but rent, man, rent has just been like flying. You know, mm-hmm. I'm looking at buying a new house and I'm I, I don't want to sell my uh, townhouse in Baltimore. I want to rent it out. So of I'm course. looking like, hey, how much can I rent this house out for? I figure, you know, a couple thousand dollars. No, houses like that are renting out for way more than I expected. You know, you're talking about like three thousand thirty five hundred dollars for a house that, you know, five years ago you could have bought. For two thousand, you could have rented for you know like two thousand one hundred. Um, so those are the things that are sticky. You know, like when rent goes up, usually your landlord doesn't call and say, "Hey, we're lowering the rent." Like, yeah, and rent is a pretty uh, significant portion. Uh, rent and housing, I guess, in general, is a pretty significant portion of the uh, the oh, CPI. It's, it's weighted pretty heavily, I guess I should yeah, say, right? Yeah, it is. It is, and and we really haven't seen haven't seen that like you know really really coming into effect. And that's the kind of stuff that sticks around longer. You know, yet sure uh, the oil prices come down, but hey, oil prices are probably going to go back up because we've they've been coming down because we've been sort of manipulating them. Um, you know, we're releasing uh, however many million barrels a day from the, street, the Strategic Petroleum yeah. Reserve. 
it's getting empty. What know? do you think of the whole like proposals from the White House that we're seeing about like kind of capping uh, prices on gas? Is that do you ever see that passing? Do you think that is feasible? Do you think that would help or hurt? Oh man, um, I I'd never like to hear about price controls. Yeah, um, I think they're a horrible idea. Uh, whether that means that they won't pass or not, I I can't say. You know, sure. I mean, I could definitely see them passing. Um, a lot of terrible ideas come out of Washington, um, D.C. and the state. I mean, let's be honest. You yeah. know, um, and nothing bad against you know the people in D.C. or in Washington State, uh, but just you know, bad ideas come from everywhere, um, and uh, a lot of times they they catch on and they take hold. I mean, look at Europe. Like Europe had the bad idea of, of, you know, getting themselves either beholden to Russia or, you know, having to rely on a technology that's just not quite there yet yep. in renewable energy. And now they're facing this crisis where, you know, basically they're, they're sort of SOL, you know, they can either buy their energy from Russia or they can buy their energy from Russia through China and pretend that they're not buying it from Russia. Yeah. You know, they can get some of it from us, but I mean, only so much of it because we we can only export so much. You know, we don't have pipelines that go to Europe. Um, we've, we've got ships that go there, but, you know, ships, uh, you know, shipping is expensive and uh, there's only a certain number of uh, liquefaction places because we have to liquefy our natural sure. gas to put it into the tanks to get it over to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's only certain numbers of uh, deliquefaction places there because unlike this. Now, I, I, I always thought, oh, you know, like to deliquefy it, you just sort of like psh, 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 let it out of the tank. It's like propane, you know, like the propane in my tank and my grill is, is, is a liquid when it's in the tank. But once I open it up, it comes out the regulator and it becomes gas you yep. know, because it's not under pressure anymore. But that's not how it works with the natural gas. They actually have to like go through a process to deliquefy it. Um, and there's only so many of those and they take a long time to build. So, I mean, they really... They're, they're mean, looking at a tough winter, yeah, right? Like yeah, they're a pretty... looking at a tough winter. And this is a big word salad for me to say that, yes, I think that a dumb idea like price controls could pass here in the U.S. Yeah. I really hope that it doesn't. Um, you know, it, 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 it doesn't end up helping anybody. You know, it ends up uh, – I, I, I studied economics in college, and there's something that they talk about called deadweight loss. And tariffs lead to deadweight loss. Taxes lead to deadweight loss. Price controls lead to deadweight loss. And that's basically just money that is just taken out of the economy – never to be back into it again. Sure. It's just like basic inefficiencies. Exactly. That makes sense. Okay. So let's move on to a related topic, which is kind of this this food shortage that we're seeing. Uh, Speaking of bad ideas. I pulled a a quote from TFI Global, uh, speaking of Europe. It says, uh, Europe is staring at a food shortage so intense that hunger will be the chief cause of death. Uh, pulling a further quote from there, they say, according to data from the Industry Association Fertilizers Europe, uh, Russia and Belarus provide 60% of the EU's fertilizer and sanctions introduced earlier this year on imports of potash have put significant pressure on fertilizer supplies. A uh, quote from Bloomberg says that Europe's corn crop will plummet by 20%. So obviously that is related somewhat to the uh, the energy crisis as well. But uh, 100%. I, I was hoping you could kind of maybe expand a little bit. Uh, tell us maybe kind of, you know, how bad is the shortage really and what is causing it? Obviously, the energy has feed down effects, but there are some other things going on as well. Okay. Um, so I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, yep. but prior to um, COVID-19, there were already, you know, hundreds of millions of people in the world who were sort of uh, facing food insecurity, right? They weren't on the brink of starvation, but, you know, a couple of days without, uh, without shipments, and they would be. 
Um, COVID-19 really just screwed up the entire global supply chain. Everybody knows that. You know, um, it also screw, uh, screwed up uh, uh, global farming. You know, because the supply chain was so messed up, farmers weren't able to get their crops to, uh, to market. So you know, uh, farmers were culling their herds. They were literally killing off animals because they couldn't sell them for, for protein, um, you know, for our protein. Uh, they were you know, plowing in their fields because they, they couldn't you know, harvest it and, and take it to, to the market because nobody was coming to pick it up. Nobody was there to buy it. Yeah. Um, so that really, you know, that sort of set into motion you know, a little long-term thing where it's kind of be a cascading like they sort of effect. Have to, yeah, a cascading effect where they're going to have to recover from that. But then you brought up the, uh, the fact that this is, this is all sort of related to the energy, uh, to the energy issues. Um, and it's also related to the climate change arguments. Yep. Um, and so <clears throat> basically, you know, the, the, the climate change argument hinges on, you know, climate change is caused by carbon emissions, right? So we need to get rid of all carbon emissions. We need to stop using fossil fuels. Well, the majority of um, nitrogen-based fertilizers are created by burning natural gas. So that releases carbon emissions, you know, and so you've got EU countries coming in and basically telling farmers, you have to cut down on your carbon emissions and, and you have to cut down on the carbon emissions that are produced by the fertilizer that you use. And the only way they can do that is by not using fertilizer, right? And uh, about 50% of the world relies on food that's grown with fertilizer. So basically, like, if we stop using fertilizer, 50% of the world starves to death, period. Like, sure. hard stop. That's it. You know, fertilizer is what's keeping the global population alive. And uh, it's not just in Europe. Uh, in Canada, uh, they've, um, they, they've, they've done the same thing with their farmers. They're telling their farmers they need to reduce their, um, their carbon emission outputs from fertilizers. Um, and uh, it's, it's really... I mean, it's a terrible, it's, it, this goes back to these terrible ideas that come out, and it's a terrible idea at an even worse time, because we were already facing food insecurity, and now we've got governments that are coming in and basically being like, well, you can't grow, you know, you can't grow food. Yeah, what's that, is the quote that says something like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions or something like oh, that? Oh, definitely. Is that, is that is. how that quote goes? I, I think so. I mean, we may be misquoting it, but yeah, it's something like that, to paraphrase. The road to hell is definitely lined with good intentions. So so you kind of alluded to this, this uh, earlier, but, uh, you know, this uh, kind of... This food shortage doesn't doesn't just affect cr- uh, crops; it trickles down to, to livestock if you can't grow these crops. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, obviously livestock well, and, re- I mean, relies also, on these crops. You know, we've got uh, we've we've been whether it's true or not, we've been convinced that you know protein farms are a big cause of carbon emissions. Yeah. You know, the methane from um, now. I feel like people like most people are getting the wrong impression that like it's oh it's the methane from like when the cows fart. No, it's not the methane from when. The, I mean, some of that, yes. Sure. But it's that uh, when manure breaks down. You know, usually at a farm at a protein farm you know the the in the barns you know the animals are going to the bathroom and it drops down into slats and then it gets washed out into a, a, a lagoon and basically it just sits there and microbes you know do their natural thing and break it down and turn it into you know basically turn it into to compost and soil and, and you know but while they're doing that they're releasing greenhouse gases they're releasing methane they're releasing co2 they're releasing all of this stuff so the longer that manure sits out there, you know, um, uh, in, and getting like uh, broken down through aerobic respiration. Yeah. Um, the more uh, carbon emissions are coming out. Sure. So you've also got, and then so is got, there like specific legislation that is like causing like additional issues here, or 
Is this just that kind of like proposed legislation? And in the U.S., it's still, to my knowledge, all proposed legislation. Yeah. Um, but you know, you also have uh, you also have issues where you know you've got we, we've been having heat waves, you know, and we've actually had um, a lot of cattle have been sold very early in the year this year in yep. the U.S. because the farmers are are either they're they're running into a couple of problems. Either it's too hot for the cows, so they're yep. like, oh shoot, I don't want them to die in the field because it's so hot. Let's get them to to market so I can make some money off of them. Or it's hey, I can't get food for. For the, for the yeah, cows, so one of the things I was reading was that they were basically moving livestock onto like hay or like way earlier than they than they need to, or mm-hmm. they, they use they typically do because of uh, basically the, the the status of the corn crops. Well, yeah, uh, I mean grain, you know, like everybody everybody eats grain. You know, all the animals eat grain. We yep. all eat grain. Grain's what bread's made of. And uh, this this one's interesting because Russia and I mean we were we were facing you know uh, food shortages before long before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, but Russia and Ukraine combined are uh, produce I think like at something like 30 or 40 percent of the world's grain it's a ridiculous yeah. amount they're the top two grain producers in the world followed by like Canada the US and I believe Brazil um, but uh, you know they produce tons of it and you know Ukraine's farm fields are I mean as far as you can tell from like the news they're probably pretty much worthless like just on fire yep um, you know the Russians are basically like you know salting the earth uh, as they go through are there any regions that are kind of like picking up the slack or is it basically just like the supply is going to be low for a while until these areas can recover well and that's the issue is that the supply is going to be low for a while because the regions that could sort of help pick up the slack are places like Canada and the US and uh, the rest of Europe and you know um, in the rest of Europe and in Canada, they're already, you know, sort of cutting down on what farmers can and can't do and how much food they'll be able to grow with the fertilizer that they're allowed to use. Um, and so, like I said, we haven't gotten to that point here in the U.S., but, you know, U.S. crops have had a rough year anyway. It's been dry in some places. It's been too wet in other yeah. places. So um, you, you mentioned you were trading futures earlier. Do you uh, do you expect that, um, like, meat prices are going to are going to increase? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, like, I think that they'll keep going up. Um, and I think that this is the thing is I, I think that eventually like real meat is going to become, and when I say real meat, I mean, you know, meat from an animal Yeah, is going to so become I was a gonna, I was going item. to ask you about how you feel about kind of like this whole alternative protein production industry and, and where everything is going there. I still, I'll, I'll say, I still prefer my meat to come from an animal. Sure. But, um, you know, I, I understand that eventually, eventually it's going to be so expensive, you know, that not everybody's, like a regular steak is going to cost as much as a Kobe steak. Yeah. You know, um, you know the, the steak that we usually get for like five ninety or I guess it's like ten ninety nine a pound in the grocery store yeah. now, you know, is going to go for those Kobe like three hundred ninety nine a pound prices. Sure. Well, yeah, you're talking about actual like. Uh, well, I guess there's also the reverse argument that the Kobe is going to get cheaper if they can create this kind of cultured meat. Right, and if, and if you're going, if you're going to culture meat, why would you? Cult, you're not going to like culture a chuck steak. You're going to culture like well, culture the best. You're going to you're going to do the best. Culture um, the luxury meats. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely can see you know real like animal protein becoming a luxury uh, a luxury food item um, in the future, and I think that that's you know that that because of that, it's vital that we have other sources of protein for the rest of us because sure. the human body needs protein. Uh, protein is, is the fuel for our brains. You know, it's the reason that, you know, that we're that we're at the top of the food chain. Yep. Know, we don't have any natural weapons. We don't have a prehensile tail. I mean, like, we've got opposable thumbs, yep. but, like, those aren't really that great. We don't have fangs. We don't have claws. You know, we're not super fast. We can't hear well. We don't see well. Our sense of smell isn't that great. But we eat a lot of protein, and we have huge brains. You know, and that is what, you know, has given us our place in the world. Um, So we've got to have that source of protein. So I I would assume with, you know, the price of, you know, 
real animal meat going up and that that kind of protein consumption is, is getting that getting expensive is basically going to create some sort of opportunity for alternative uh, definitely meat production or and, alternative protein production i should say and do you see any investment opportunities oh, in this arena 100 percent. i actually have a company that i'm really focused on for that um and the reason that i'm focused on it is because you know alternative uh alternative meats, alternative protein sources, sure. you know, um, fake meat, however you want to call it. Yeah. It's not new. I think know? fake meat is like, just sounds so unappetizing. I think it's funny. I don't mean to interrupt, but like, I just think it's so funny that there's a, I feel like they're trying to come up with all of these terms for this that are going to sound appetizing. And it's like, right. just stop calling it meat. Well, like stop trying to say that it's fake meat or this exactly. meat or that meat or clean meat, whatever they're calling it. Like just call it what it is. It's like, I don't know. Pea protein or vegetable you know, protein, you know. Sure. I mean, but but that's the thing is that like, the, and I, and I think that the reason that they're trying to come up with all these different names is because yeah, like fake meat is not new, and I'm just gonna go ahead and call it fake meat. You know, I'm gonna call it what it is, fake yeah. meat. It's not new. You know, we've had like Morning Star Farms and Boca Burgers and stuff. Beyond, and like, yeah. And the reason that fake meat sounds unappetizing is because that stuff was not appetizing. That stuff was disgusting. Yeah. You know, I was at a uh, a vegan. This is the. This is like a funny story. Uh, so I was at a vegan deli. Um, it's a, a deli like on the corner of Hate and Ashbury in San Francisco. I was visiting a friend and he was like, oh, I really want to try out this deli. It's called Love and Hate. Um, and it's right by like Hate Park and, uh, you know, Hate Ashbury and stuff. And like, I hear it's really good. And we get there. And you're like, you think deli, like I'm from Baltimore. I'm thinking like a Jewish deli. Sure. Like, you know, I'm thinking like Lenny's Delicatessen. Atmans. Like I'm going to go, yeah, or Atman's or something. Like I'm going to go get like a sandwich with like, you know, some big like thick yeah. cuts of It was all vegan it. stuff. All vegan stuff, yeah. and we're sitting there eating it, and we're like, you know what, man? This is actually pretty good. And he looks over at me, and he's like, dude, can you imagine if you were eating a real meat sandwich that tasted like this? Would you say it tasted pretty good? And yeah. I was like, no, I'd say it tasted like a piece mm, of cardboard. Sure. Uh, but he was like, that's crazy, you know? Um, but that's the thing, is that, like, the, the old stuff wasn't appetizing, and that... That's why I'm really focused on this one company because basically what they've been doing over the past couple of years is they've been bringing together all sorts of different people and different companies under one like hood. And so now they've got a company that uh, produces uh, what's called pulses. And so pulses are are like you know, legumes basically. It's like um, it's like the ground up like uh, uh, it's like the powder that you get like the flour that you would get from from grinding up legumes like okay. peas or peanuts. Um, and it's very high in protein, right? So that's what uh, companies like uh, Beyond Meat use to make their to make their meat. Okay, so um, this company is like a supplier, or is that? It is. It is a supplier. It's not a supplier of Beyond Meat, but it's a supplier of other companies okay. that make their own um, that make their own. Artificial meats. Sure, sure. Fake meats. Um, <clears throat> but what it's also done is it's gone out and it's brought people in who have worked in so in the food technology industry, which sounds really weird, like food technology, but, you know, something like um, Cheetos. Cheetos has, like, hundreds of patents. Yeah. You know, on, like, how you get it to be puffed like that, how you get the flavor in the, um, you know, into the powdered cheese, how you get the powdered cheese to stay on it. Like, there's patents for all of this yeah. stuff. Yeah, I watched a, a documentary one time or an interview or something with the guy that's, like, basically he was, like, the head of, you know, food technology or whatever for Taco Bell, and he was kind oh, of explaining, yeah. like, how they engineer the food. Yeah, like those Doritos to, Locos to, Tacos? To make it so that, like, even when you're, like, when you're full, you still, they're trying you to trick feel, you and to uh -huh. make you feel like you're hungry. Oh, so. definitely. The Lay's potato chips, like, you can't eat just one. That's because Lay's has, you know, stuff, like, in their potato chips that sort of helps clear the flavor of the potato chip out of your mouth. So you want another one, yeah. you know, so that it feels, it, you want to eat another one, you know. 
Um, and uh, so basically what this company has also gone out and done that. And so that's what's really been holding back the other um, imitation meat companies, the other fake meat companies, is that they're like, okay, this has all of the qualities of meat except the flavor except mm -hmm. the texture except like you know what people want and they're combining you know, it all the together the taste and the mouthfeel and stuff and so basically they're going out and they're they've they've combined all of these companies together so they've got you know they've got the company that uh that that creates the the pulses to um you know the main ingredient right and then they've got the company that has the technology to take those pulses and say make like a cheeto that's made out of plant protein instead of made out of you know corn uh, uh corn flour yeah um and you know they've got the uh, technology to make the flavors taste better and give you the mouth feel that people want so that you know your chicken nugget tastes like a chicken nugget so that your you know hamburger you know tastes and feels like a hamburger when you're chewing it so that you know your cheeto tastes like a Cheeto, even though it's, you know, healthy and yeah. good for you. Um, and uh, so that's what I really like about them is I feel like, you know, and I feel like you really hit it on the head where you're like, oh, man, I hate calling it fake meat because that sounds so unappetizing. And it sounds unappetizing because fake meat always has been, you know, you've been sacrificing. You know, you're like, I'm going to make a sacrifice to not eat animals or I'm going to make a sacrifice, you know, for the benefit of the planet. But, you know, it's not going to catch on if everybody has to make a sacrifice. People don't like making sacrifices, sure. you know. And uh, and so, you know, it's got to be like, I'm going to eat this because it tastes just as good as the other thing. Or I'm going to eat this because it's even better than the other thing. Is this company doing, is it all, are they doing any kind of like, like cultured meat where they're trying to like grow the cells or they're purely looking at the, so the, the one plant that I'm following plant is to, purely plant protein yeah. which um, I think in in terms of like you know the near term investments I think that is the way to go I know that there are a lot of people who are kind of eyeing the cultured meat oh, but definitely. I think we're, I'm, I'm paying attention to it, that space too eventually but, but in, but, the, in the head you know in the consumer's mind it's going to be easier to 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 get over that this is plant-based meat as sure. opposed to like this was grown in a petri yeah. dish in a lab. I think it's a matter of like actual scale too and then the economics is oh, like definitely. And, you know definitely. being able to like mass produce this stuff mm -hmm. that I, I just don't think we're there technologically. Yet. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I mean, you know, the, uh, the the technology that you need to, to produce plant-based meats um, or plant-based proteins yeah. or whatever, it's, it's already there, yeah. you know. But the technology, and, and to do it at scale, it's already there. You know, we've seen that with Beyond Meat. We've seen that with Morningstar Farms. I think that's owned by Tyson. Yeah. Um, you know, so like the technology to do that is there. It's just that nobody ever took it that next step to make it like to, to make it taste good, to make it to make it uh, to make it desirable. Okay, and if I wanted access to your coverage on this this stock, where would I go? Which are your which are your uh, uh, future your... giants? Okay. So we're covering that one in future giants. Um, I would love to give the name of it out, uh, but I just can't because people have paid money to, sure. to get that. Uh, we'll get we'll that put stock. a link in the description uh, um, for anyone who wants to check it out. I'm calling it the next Nestle because I really think that it has the ability to become as big as a company like Nestle. Yeah. Um, and it's also already a supplier to Nestle. Um, so it's really like it supplies a lot of these big companies, and uh, it's got a lot of products on the shelves at places like Walmart and Costco and HEB stores. Yeah. Um, and it's just that uh, the products don't go by the company's name. So, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, listening to this may have actually used some of the products or at least have seen their products, but have no idea that they're this company's products. Gotcha. Yeah. So they're like kind of like hidden beneath the yeah, surface. Yeah, totally and... stealth, like under the radar. And uh, I love that. You know, I love that about a company. But when that comes out, you know, they're, they're going to be big. And I call them the next Nestle because Nestle, so Nestle got its start as a, um, a baby food. Uh, they made, they made yep. uh, powdered baby food and um, like powdered baby formula. 
Are they going to be as evil as Nestle? I I don't know. Maybe I mean all all companies I, I, when I, they get big become yeah. evil. I think you know. Um, but uh, no, Nestle got their start doing that. So they they made a powdered a powdered baby formula, right? And uh, there was a guy that was trying to develop um, milk uh, milk chocolate, right? And he was like, I need to figure out how to get milk to be in a powdered form. Hey, dude, you already figured out how to make baby formula be powdered. Like, can I get your technology? So they just licensed it out? So no, they basically merged their companies, and that created Nestle. And so Nestle made baby formula and milk chocolate, and that was it. And then um, World War I broke out, and uh, there was a shortage of dairy products. And, and uh, the dairy products that were available, you know, they spoiled because, like, refrigeration wasn't that great, you know, back during the, during the what, 19-teens um, and 1920s and stuff. Like, refrigeration just wasn't quite there yet. So they needed a way to get dairy products to the front without them spoiling. And Nestle was like, hey, we got this powdered milk. It never goes bad. How about that? And boom. Nestle becomes, you know, a multi-million dollar company and now is, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah, that's wild. That's yeah, it's wild. crazy. Um, you know, a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of companies actually get their start doing, uh, you know, basically solving a crisis, you know, and the biggest companies, you know, some of the biggest companies got that way because they literally stepped up and solved a crisis. Um, DuPont, you know, they made uh, black powder and stuff like that, but they also figured out how to make chemical detergents. Um, because it was, you know, we used to make all of our detergents out of natural products, out of like animal fat and yep. stuff. And that was running low during World gotcha. War One. And that's kind of the concept behind this future, this whole idea of future giants is you're looking for companies that are kind of in the early stages of exactly, of exactly. kind of treating some sort of major crisis. And yep, then... either addressing a major crisis or, you know, addressing an industry that's going to be like a big growth industry in the future. Um, you know, we've got a... Uh, we've got investments in small copper miners. We've got investments in small lithium companies, uh, small oil companies. Um, you know, so we're not just uh, focused on you know like the uh, the the renewable energy thing. You know, we sure. also realize that you know, oil is going to be around for a long time. Um, yep. So, okay. so speaking of speaking of renewable energy, I actually kind of want to switch topics here okay. for a second, yeah, just keep totally. the conversation moving uh, to uh, global energy storage. Okay. Elon Musk is uh, out there tweeting as usual this week. Oh, gosh, he loves uh, to tweet. He had some harsh words about fusion power. And he was kind of reaffirming his belief that solar and wind are going to be the primary sources of, oh, okay. of, of energy. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, he also kind of discussed the importance of energy storage. And I think that makes sense for right. him to do because he is selling energy storage solutions. Right. But he, he, is. he is selling lithium storage. And I, I, there are a lot of people out there that say that, you know, lithium storage is not going to cut it for all of our global energy storage needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know various reasons that I guess we could kind of get into, it's it's not necessarily great for the environment. There's only so much lithium. Uh, batteries degrade over time. You can in, you know inform yeah, us a little big, bit more. You know, I mean, you need a huge battery. Like you think about like like the majority of the weight of a Tesla is its battery, and that's just to power the car for a few hundred miles. Like yep. you want to power a whole town. Exactly. You need like a couple of football fields of free space. Sure. So what uh, I guess my question to you is, what is your opinion on lithium's role in? Uh, you know, grid energy storage, not necessarily vehicles. Okay. I, I know that you've been a proponent of alternative energy storage solutions, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, lithium and then what p- potential alternatives that there that there may be in the market. Okay, okay. So I think lithium is a great solution for energy storage on a small scale. You know, for vehicles, for like individual houses, um, I think it's great. Um, it is uh, it, it better than a lead-acid battery for sure. Uh, the best battery technology that we've developed so far. Um, but like you said, it's dangerous. You know, lithium it, itself, like lithium ion, as soon as it comes into contact with air, explodes. It combusts immediately. You know, so basically the solution to that is making the sides of the battery as thick as possible. You know, but I mean, if you drop the battery, like if, if you get into a car accident, you know, if you, I don't know, like 
I mean, I, I don't know exactly how strong they are. Maybe if you kick it too hard, you know, maybe if you're moving something around your house and you bump the battery, um, maybe, you know, at a large scale place, you know, you're, you're moving some stuff around with a forklift and you puncture one of those batteries with the forklift. I know that uh, Tesla, uh, well, Elon Musk, you, you mentioned that he sells these large grid level, you know, lithium batteries and they've had explosions at every single one of those yeah. uh, things that he's, that he's put together. Do you know if that aspect of, of Tesla's business is substantial at all, or is that kind of one of those things where he's just like floating this idea that I he's think that's sort of one of those solar panels on roofs? And... Yeah, yeah, that's sort of like one of the things that's out there, like the like the Tesla solar panels, you yeah. know, or the solar the solar shingles, yeah. you know, things like that. The the boring company, you know, do we have any tunnels yet? I don't, I haven't seen any, not that I know of. You know, the Hyperloop, um, just all these ideas. You know, he's an idea man. Um, he's not necessarily an execution man. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's a hype. He's a hype man. Is what he's he is. A hype he man, really is for a hype sure. Man. For sure, he definitely is. He's like, um, uh, what's that movie? Old school. He's like the guy in the green suit, you know, that comes out with Snoop Dogg. No, I know what you're talking He's about. He's the hype man. I haven't seen that movie in ages. I, I'm surprised <laughs> I remembered. <laughs> so, what what kind of alternatives do we have to lithium if uh, you know if that if that's not going to cut it? For... So right now, the largest um, for, like the largest form of energy storage in the world is uh, is hydropower. Mm-hmm. It's hydro uh, hydroelectric power, and basically like that involves either damming up a river or you know filling up tanks uh, with water or some other liquid and then letting gravity drop it down. Um, but the issue with that, we're seeing that in Europe um, right now. We're seeing that in China too. China relies a lot on hydropower. And when there's a drought, you don't have enough water. Sure. You know, So Europe's running into that problem where like they've got a drought, they don't have enough water for their hydropower. They don't even have enough water to float boats down their rivers to bring in coal. You know, So um, you know, you, yes, the water's a great idea. It's a great solution, but there are places where you don't have enough of it sure you know um and we're seeing that even in places where you normally have enough of it sometimes it runs out and you can't use it so europe's not able to generate hydropower uh or, or enough hydropower right now um to make up for for what they need and you go to like saudi arabia i was gonna say i would take anywhere in the desert yeah probably you can't really do hydropower yeah. it doesn't make sense i mean you know if you have water like why are you gonna waste it like just by holding it in a reservoir sure you know, you're gonna you're gonna use that to grow crops you're gonna use that to feed, like you know to give people water um, so, you know, you've got deserts, uh, places where, where the temperature is below freezing, you know, where you can't have liquid water. You have solid water, but solid water doesn't move very well. Yeah. Um, so you need some other, uh, other energy solution. And there are companies out there that are working on lots of different things. And one of the ones that I've uncovered that we've got, uh, that we've invested in in Future Giants, um, is, is basically doing something similar to... Um, similar to hydro storage, to hydro uh, electric storage, where basically it's the same concept. You're using gravity. You know, gravity is available everywhere in the world. You know, everywhere on the planet, there's the same amount of gravity. No country can have a monopoly on it. You know, China has practically a monopoly on on like cobalt mining and you know on lithium mining and like all of these different minerals, but they can't have a monopoly on gravity. Um, so you know, this company basically has figured out a way to sort of um, create a hydroelectric dam without any water, you know, without any liquid. Okay. How do they do that? How do they do it? Yeah. So basically they, they're, they're, it's, 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 it's so simple, uh, that it's amazing that somebody else hadn't done it first. Sure. Um, but basically, you know, with, um, with, uh, with hydroelectric power, what we're all really familiar with is, is seeing dams. But another way to do that is what's called pumped hydro, where basically you have a reservoir, uh, here and a reservoir higher up here. And you take water from this reservoir and you use electricity and a pump and you pump it up to this reservoir. 
And then basically what you've done is you have stored the electricity that it took to pump that water up there. And so you so, basically you took kinetic energy, you turned it into potential energy, into poten- exactly. and now you're le- and now you're having and now it kind you just of sit got this there. potential energy sitting up there, right? So the it's it's interesting because basically the it's almost like that that body of water is a battery, yeah, in a way. And that's exactly what it is. That body of water is a battery, and so that's the big difference between uh, renewable energy or alternative energy and hydrocarbons like oil and coal and natural gas. Is oil and coal and natural gas are batteries. They are stored energy. Yep. You don't have to do anything. Like literally, they're just their energy in stored form. Um, but wind, uh, uh, wind turbines and solar panels, the energy that they produce has to be used immediately or it has to be stored in something else gotcha. because, you know, it's not, it's not stored energy, it's created energy. Yeah. And so, you know, using say like a solar panel, um, you know, you don't need the energy right now, uh, because you know, the sun's out, you don't need to turn your lights on, but when the sun goes away, you're going to want to turn your lights on. So you use the energy from the solar panel to raise up that water or in this company's case, weights. You know, they figured, hey, like water works because it's heavy and it's affected by gravity. There's lots of other things out there that are heavy and affected by gravity. What about concrete? You know, so uh, we get concrete out there. um, And uh, basically this company uses the electricity that it doesn't need right now to go ahead and lift up uh, these heavy weights. And then when you need the, uh, the electricity, the weights get lowered back down. And they so sort like of on a, run like some sort of tower? or what Yeah, it's almost like a big crane. Well, their original prototype sort of looks like a big crane. Okay. Um, but uh, obviously there are problems with that. You know, a crane is exposed on all sides to wind. You know, so if you're in a windy place where, you know, most wind turbines would be located, then, you know, you're going to have wind blowing on your crane and it's going to make it really tough to operate. Gotcha. So they've got a new, you know, their second uh, – um, I don't know. Uh, prototype concept. Concept, yeah. We'll say concept because I think it's past the. It's it's really past the prototype uh, yep. stage here. Is basically an enclosed building, you know, where these weights are lifted mm. and lowered, lifted and lowered, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 like I said, it's just so simple that you know, it sounds, it sounds almost dumb, but you yeah. Know, well, it's pretty crazy to think about because lithium and all these other like I see a lot of kind of like news about you know this new breakthrough battery, but they always oh, yeah. require some sort of. Uh, you know, resource that is difficult to come by. Yeah, it's and always a resource that's, that's this. Hard to I'm come assuming by, is just it's just know, concrete and steel. Concrete, steel, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And honestly, if you don't have concrete, you can use pretty much anything. We mentioned the desert. You know, you could use big bags of sand. There's lots of that in the yeah. desert. You know, so you don't have to. It, you could use um. This is this is great. So um, wind turbines have a useful life, and you know uh, they're not entirely recyclable when they when they stop working. But what you can do is you can compact them down into a block and you can use that old wind turbine that you can't recycle that would just have to like go off to a landfill and leach toxins out into the soil. You can use that as a weight. Okay, gotcha. You could use anything, anything heavy as a weight. You know, all of these uh, electric vehicles, you know, if people stop driving electric vehicles, we could just hang electric vehicles up and use them. They're heavy. I would assume that maybe one of the like only disadvantages then or at least one disadvantage that I can think of is that you're losing some energy to friction or... You do. You definitely do. Um, But uh, it's the same with uh, lithium batteries. You lose some energy when you're charging them. You know, you're not actually... It's not 100% in, 100% out. It's 100% in, like 75% out. Um, And uh, hydropower is about 75% also. Um, And these batteries uh, that this company, batteries that this company has developed um, are between 70 and 80 percent efficient. Okay, gotcha. So they're they're basically, they're already on the same level. Right up on the same level as lithium. But they don't have the disadvantage of 
being restrained or constrained by you know geography. Yep, by geography, by by resources, by um, trade blocks. I mean, look, the world is the world seems to be splitting up right now. You know, sure. we're not quite as 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 globalized as we were. You know, and and you've got uh, China and Russia are sort of like forming their own little block over there, and then the West and and the U.S. have their own block over here. And we'll, like China and Russia, well, especially China. You know, they have they 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 really have tight control over a lot of resources and a lot of the resources that we need for these alternative yep. um, for the, the alternative energy storage. Uh, so I would assume that maybe this company would like team up with solar or wind companies to. to it pre- definitely will. Is, um, is there anything in the works? Or? So it's uh, when we first invested in it, it had one site that was operational. It was hooked up to the Swiss power grid, and uh, it was already helping provide energy for for the Swiss. Um, they are in talks and like have contracts with uh, the Saudi royal family um, because they're they're building a gigantic. It's going to be the biggest solar farm in the world, and they want to use this company's uh, energy storage method to store the energy from that solar farm. And their goal is for this solar farm and this energy storage center to be able to power 4.5 million homes in okay. Saudi Arabia. Wow. It's just amazing, you know, really huge. And would they um, just be like right next to each other, or how does that? Basically, yeah. You you've got you know, solar field right here and the building with uh, with the energy storage right next to it. So okay. that, you know, the, it doesn't have to travel very far, just right up. And then when you need the electricity, it runs right back out. Um, now, that one's not completed yet. That's not functional yet, um, but that is planned. Uh, but they have recently signed uh, deals and started uh, projects here in the U.S. too uh, to help uh, with Texas's power grid and with Southern California power grid. And so I think they've, they're deploying about... What I say, two to five hundred megawatts uh, worth of energy storage in Texas and California um, okay. to help store energy from uh, um, from their their power. So they're cars. all over the globe. They really are, okay. and you know they're popping up. You know, every every couple of weeks, I get a new a new alert saying that they've signed a new deal, uh, that they're partnering with another company in another state um, or another country to to store energy for them. So it's it's really cool um, because it was sort of a. They were when we first when we first invested in them in Future Giants. This is another Future Giant. I was just about to ask. Um, they were still very uh, developmental stage. You know, they were still very early stage. They had the 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 crane that was hooked up to the Swiss power grid, but that was it. You know, and that's like, you know, that's like investing in in Tesla when it just had a roadster. You know, and like not many people wanted to do that, but hey, it worked out really well for them. Sure, it, a bit a bit riskier earlier on, but uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. if that's if you want to make a ton of money in the stock yep. market, that's probably the way to do it. That's definitely the way to do it, and um, you know, really like what what we're seeing is uh, is it, we're seeing the proof of the concept. Yep. You know, the company is proving that its concept worked. It's proving that its technology is superior to um, you know some of the technology out there, and at least as good as the other technology out there. It works in places where the stuff that's as efficient as it won't work. Um, you know, so yeah. it works in places where hydroelectric won't work. Uh, it's just as efficient, uh, and in some cases more efficient than lithium storage. Gotcha. It's way safer. It's way cheaper. It's not going to randomly explode. It's not like hydrogen, which can also randomly explode. Um, you know, so no fuel cells. It's just, it's just a lot safer. You know, and people want people want safe things. You know, I mean, 
Uh, you mentioned uh, Elon Musk saying that he doesn't really have good things to say about uh, fusion technology. And I mean, fusion technology is like, that's harnessing the power of the sun. Yeah, like, that's like that's, infinite energy if we can achieve it, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's our step to becoming, you know, like, to, that, that's the next step in human evolution, really, yeah. is being able to harness the energy of the stars. Yeah. Um, you know, and we're nowhere near there, there yet. But one of the things that's kind of kept us back is that, you know, um, fission reactors and fission bombs are basically the same thing. You know, and nobody wants a nuclear bomb going off in their backyard. Yeah. So why would you let anybody research, you know, fission technology or fusion technology? Sure. Sorry. Um, you know, and, and uh, even fission reactors. Well, they're doing know. it and they're doing it all over the place. They are trying. They are. Yeah. They are. And I just actually um, it kind of <laughs> it kind of segues into something. into something else that we've invested in in uh, future giants. Um, but uh, I just read an article that uh, China has become the, the, the third country to discover an element on the moon. Mm, I was seeing. Um, I saw that as well. Yeah, and also brought back uh, some like helium that they think would be the perfect fuel for fusion reactors. Gotcha. And uh, that I thought was really interesting because in Future Giants we've been investing in helium also, and uh, we've been investing in helium because I had no idea that helium was used for so many more things than blowing up party balloons and making your voice sound silly. Yep. We we did a whole episode on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure everybody that's that's listened and watched, you know, is, is familiar with that. But I mean, like MRI machines can't work without it. You can't manufacture semiconductors yep. without it. I mean, basically, like any clean room uh, that you need, like you, you need helium to yep. like keep that room clean. It, it is pretty crazy the intricacies of the you know the global you know connected economy. Oh yeah, and, really and I feel like. I used to not really pay attention to macro stuff until more recently when it has become so apparently important. Right. And right. it is it is pretty wild how, uh, you know, how intricate everything is. And you could just have a little like a little break somewhere and it yep. kind of messes with everything. Yeah. And this year, you know, I've seen headlines that, uh, you know, Harvard's physics lab had to shut down because they ran out of helium. Yeah. There, there are Ph.D. students who essentially had to switch their like their theses because they couldn't get the helium that was required to perform the experiments of you know that they that they needed to. Uh -huh. so. I feel like there was a Big Bang uh, a theory episode about that. Yeah. Where they needed helium and they were buying it off of some guy in like a garage and then they got freaked out so they sold it back to him and then they like decided that they really wanted the helium so they went and bought it back from him again. That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, like they were gonna have to basically like let somebody else get a Nobel Prize if they couldn't get the helium on that show. Yeah. But that's literally what it's coming down to. You know, these these PhD uh, uh, students had to. Had to switch their thesis or not get their PhDs. You know that was their choice. Yep. All right. So you mentioned uh, coverage of all these different these these three companies that we've kind of mentioned, or mm -hmm. you know three you know investment opportunities in, in future giants. Uh, what does that coverage look like? Like, is that like uh, are you just kind of updating people on a weekly basis? Are there are there okay, official yeah. so, like uh, um, you know reading? It's a reading material. What if I so if, there's reports on all of the companies. Okay. Um, all three of the companies that I talked about today, there's there's reports out there on them. Um, you know, we've got the future emperor of energy storage, um, the next Nestle, um, and uh, the helium pick. The helium pick. Yeah. Which I, I feel like the the title of that report for anybody who like gets on the website and, and is looking for it is gosh now. Um, Whatever it doesn't matter. It's gonna say you got helium. A, you got a report it, on it. You know, and there's yeah. a report on it. Um, but I think it's a, a Silicon Valley's uh, sa salvation or something like that. Gotcha. Because Silicon Valley really can't exist without you know you can't make silicon this, semiconductors you need without the chips. helium. I mean you need helium for the chips. Yeah. Uh -huh, exactly. Um, and so all of those you know I have detailed reports out on those and then you know I'm, I'm giving out uh, weekly updates on our. 
portfolio on the uh, the stocks in the portfolio. Um, so every stock doesn't get coverage every week. You know, I just I just don't nobody has time uh, to do that. But like you know any all the important things that have happened you know get coverage. And then if nothing's really happened you know and it's just business as usual, then you know we cover that stock when something is going on or when you know we think uh, it's a good time to be uh, to be putting in more money. Um, so that's another thing is we're also giving you know uh, uh, clear. Uh, buy and sell signals. Gotcha. Know, we have sell targets on all of these stocks. Once they hit those targets, even if we think maybe they could go up a little higher, you're committed to it. Yeah, we're committed to those sell targets. We think that what that kind is of a good what are your for the companies? The sell targets that you're looking for. What kind of gains? Like um, are you like pretty much looking at like a most of them are around. They're going to be like you know between 500 to a thousand percent. Yeah, you know these are small companies that really have big potential. Um, and uh, honestly, like they, all of them have probably more potential than a thousand percent. But I mean, is anybody going to complain if I cut them off at yeah, a thousand percent? Yeah, you'll take it. You'll take you know, it. I'll take that. I'll take a ten x all day, every day. Um, and you know, you can keep the extra hundred percent that comes after that or something. All right. Anything else you want to plug before we uh, wrap it up? Um, I mean, well, you know, I've got all of my other uh, newsletters. Uh, Alpha Profit Machine has been just doing really great. I think everybody should check that one out. Um, you know, it's a it's an algorithmic trading service, and it's the kind of algorithms that you know we used when I was at Morgan Stanley on Wall Street. That you know, it's designed by people that designed algorithms for hedge funds um, for these high frequency traders yep. and it just outperforms the market so far this year we're about like flat you know so yeah. while the stock markets are down you know uh, what the Nasdaq is down like 25 percent the S&P is down like 18 and I think the Dow's down 16 we're flat we yeah. haven't made money but we haven't lost money yeah so that means we still got all of that money that we started the year with sure. to invest in those stocks that are all beaten down and are way cheaper year. now that makes yep. sense yep so it's been really good um, and in uh, bull markets you know the the machines outperformed uh, the market by like, like three to four to one um, so, you know, we're really excited for when the market turns around, but honestly, I'm just happy to, you know, still be basically where I was when I started the year. And, you know, I think that really shows the power of, of, uh, that algorithm, you know, and of, of sort of taking, taking the uh, emotion out of it and, yeah. and letting it be just, you know. Yeah. Well, reason. you, you and I got into, into that on one of the, the, the previous podcasts, so maybe I'll just put a link in there. And, oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. People should yeah. check that out. Cause it is tough. It's tough. You know, even for me, I've been in finance my whole life. It's tough to let, it's tough to set emotions aside. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm looking at buying a new New house and you know that 20% down payment man that is a big check to yeah, write yeah. you know and like that's a very emotional check to write even though I know it's a really good idea for yeah. me to do it you know so like my brain is telling me one thing and my heart's telling me something else and then you know my gut is like just don't pay any attention to them and do it well, I I wish you luck with that purchase Appreciate and all, all the uh, the investment uh, speculations that you're looking at right now. I hope yeah, they all they crush it and, uh, you know, hope to see I'm you on here next time. I'm confident in them. You can't win them all, but I'm confident that we're going to win enough that we're going to be looking really good. All right. Well, good luck. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. No problem. Everyone else, uh, like, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.